Dad Bod Rap Pod. It's a podcast about rap music. We have recorded hundreds and hundreds of hours of talking about rap music, and people seem to dig it. My name is Damone Carter, a.k.a. Dim One. I am joined in the land of Zoom by a man with a corduroy hat. His name, Nate LeBlanc. How's it going? I'm good. Uh, think of all the thousands of hours of hip-hop talk that went unrecorded. <laughs> True. <laughs> think True. about it. Yes. Despair. That's right. We finally captured the banter that you all didn't know you needed. Um, and joining us in this weekly endeavor, we have Mr. David Ma. How's it going? Going well, guys. Uh, just sitting here by the window, the light on my face. Uh, yeah. So like a daylight marauder. It's quite lovely. <laughs> <laughs> a daylight marauder. Um, yeah, so we're back. It's another week. Um, to where, you know, we're just uh, cruising along. Nothing's wrong. Nothing is the matter. You guys <laughs> have normal. Do, do you have those moments where you're like, oh, everything's fine? No, it's not. Like, right. I, yeah, it's, it's amazing how much is still cool and how much isn't cool at all whatsoever. Um, we went for a drive on Saturday and I got fully dressed. Like, I put on like <laughs> nice socks and yeah. like pants that i haven't worn the whole quarantine and no one saw my fit and no i didn't get out of the car but like i just i wanted to do what lucia and i would do on like a normal weekend like we had yeah. like, mm-hmm. a day yeah. completely to ourselves we'll often take a drive out to the coast grab some lunch like we didn't do any of that stuff but we drove around and we at least looked at the ocean and oh, good. The, my main feeling of it was I thought I would be a little bit more excited to see the ocean, but I realized like two months is not that long. And like, I can look at it whenever I want. You're, you're like, get over yourself a little bit. Like the end of the Shawshank Redemption where uh, Morgan Freeman is in Zihuatanejo or whatever. But, uh, and then the other thing was like, we passed all these fruit stands and like, I love some in season cherries. Cherries, baby. We're Small not social season. distancing at the fruit stands in like Hell at no. the Bay. They were all on top of each other. And I was like, I'm not getting out of the car. I'm not going to get, you know, a basket of COVID. <laughs> Look, for a ripe cherry, I'll risk it all. I, uh, I heard I that actually, about you. <laughs> <laughs> and that's this week's program. Thank you. <laughs> oh, man. Wow. Walked into that and it was good. Um, <laughs> I, I, too, went to the coast this weekend um, to uh, with this clandestine plan of like, I'm going to find that one beach where you could kind of park, where they haven't quite figured out what to do about the parking yet, because for those listening in other places, all the state beaches are closed. So it was like this kind of clandestine mission to find out uh, the beach that you could go to. Were you successful? Yeah, there's some little weird cutouts if you keep going along the one out of San Mateo County. Like the okay. tip of Santa, the tip of Santa Cruz County, there's some weird, I mean weird, like not actual beaches, but places where the water touches the edge of the land yeah and you could kind of park somewhere so i did that but the reason i'm proud and why it was a shawshank redemption type moment for me (laughs) is on friday i broke my fucking toe whoa like breaking news and seriously (laughs) breaking digits um so i'm you know now doing weight working from home way too much on a conference call trying to clean up at the same time 
with my bare feet, just, you know, living my life in my room and doing what I do. And I, my laptop was on my bed. I kind of yanked the covers. Laptop flies off of my bed at a precise angle to where the corner hits my middle toe on my left foot. Didn't hit either toe. It, it didn't wow. hit the toe to the right or to the left of it. Exactly middle toe, bounced off, landed perfectly flat. Laptop's fine. Um, but you know, you know when you stub your toe and you're like, I'm dead now for the next, <laughs> yeah. for the I, next I, three minutes. the most painful thing right. I've ever experienced. Kind of, yeah. For like at least three minutes, I was like, yeah, I'm dead. Yeah. Like I am. You're like, okay, I'm good. Yeah. yeah and I'm but like, they can't oh, do anything for a broken toe, right? They really can't. So this shit is blackened um, even more than usual. Uh, <laughs> and um, I can't put a fucking shoe on. And I had my, to- my foot in a bucket of fucking ice water for the majority of the weekend. That's but, crazy. Um, while I will risk it all for a ripe cherry, as, as Nate has put out, <laughs> I, I won't go to the doctor for a broken toe doing COVID. <laughs> well, I was like, now. And I was like, nah, bro, I'm going to ride it out. I'm going to ride it something out. something I know they can't fix. Yeah, kind of. So for anybody, if you, if you stub your toe, you think you broke it, you're just fucked. Like, there's nothing, there's no remedies to do for it. So I, I taped the shit together, got in my car, and went out nice, towards nice. fucking Highway 1 Taped with my flip-flops. So... <laughs> Played game six, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> Push Byron Russell off the way with my toe, kind of just moved Walked him. Walked down to the beach, went like, oh, it's cold and there's no girls here. I'll be leaving soon. Yeah, I'll be leaving. Uh, Dave, what's going on with you? Just chilling, man, just chilling. I also have a weird um, injury story. I was uh, making a, um, some pork chops and I, and I went for the um, sear first and then put into the oven. Yes. Well, when I took it out of the oven, I forgot and just grabbed my whole. Oh, yeah, man. In there. It, terrible. Terrible. Ter- yeah. Terrible. Feel like a fucking idiot. I can feel my hand cooking. You know? Right. And so to Damone's point, I was going to run to the fucking ER. Like, I've never been burned. It was really bad. And then it was like, what the fuck are they going to do for you? You know what I mean? Give Here's me some balm. Send me home. Yeah. yeah. I just yeah. stood there um, with my hand in a bucket of uh, water for eight hours. Wow, dude, that's crazy. Or like still hurt? Yes, it totally hurts. It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. So I've been I've been working out all eagerly wait to see what happens to me. Yeah. (laughs) Pretty much, bro. I'm not gonna get out of this core unscathed. (laughs) No, no, uh, no sharp objects for you, Nate. Seriously, it's actually funny. I took the day off work from on Friday, and it was I, I got a very nice visit from Dave. He left me some stuff on my porch. That was awesome. Um, and I got my knives sharpened. Like I've been like <laughs> using my not both my paring knife and my chef's knife so much they're like super dull. And the dude was like, you know, these were really dull. Like everyone who comes up is like, oh, you know, these are they're so yeah. dull. But everyone's yeah. knives are average. He's like, yours were really dull. And I'm like, I know. I'm using them like <laughs> three hours a day. Like I've been needing this. Yeah. That's why you're there. It's like exactly. My, it's like when you go to get new tires and they're like dude your tires are worn out and it's like i know that's, that's not here for came. fun dog Fuck, dude. <laughs> i i so wanted to insert a joke when you said it was so dull about one of our interviews but oh. i i did i didn't know how we would bleep it out i'm sorry i should have just Let's been use like the chat function on the side of yeah. the zoom yeah just like that uh interview um so nate uh got out of this weekend unscathed me and dave are surviving Please send cash to uh, no get well, Ferris. Um, so 
we have uh, <laughs> we have a another dope <laughs> program lined up for you today. We've got an interview coming up with um, an author who put out a book. Who, um, you know, I'm not gonna say I was pleasantly surprised because I, you know, I, I I give props to anybody who can like write a whole ass book, uh, but I so. I was surprised at how much I enjoyed reading some excerpts of mm -hmm. it. Um, and so we want to let you hear a little bit about that. Uh, and then we got some interesting uh, shit to argue about on the other side of that. So it's going to be a whole last show. Uh, settle in. Do not, uh, do not use uh, hot pants during this. <laughs> Keep shoes on, closed-toed shoes during this program. Uh, I just have to say before we introduce our guest, uh, mm -hmm. it's been a dream of mine my whole life to receive galleys. Like, I love this galley life, I have to say. <laughs> like, uh, it's like getting the test pressing of a right. record. Right. It's like so sick that like people care enough what we think about their book and want to talk to us that they send us early copies of it. So those of you listening who are in publishing, if you have a hip hop related book, I will yeah. read the whole thing. And I will have an intelligent conversation with the person who wrote it. Um, I just takes. I need like three months lead time. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> when, when they when they send you an oral history of Shaggy, like that's gonna that's gonna be Nate Nate Bod. <laughs> like, I'll be like, I didn't do it. Do it. <laughs> nice. Um, nice. Be like, I'm sorry, I can't read this. It's too boombastic. <laughs> Not fan. <laughs> that stings. Oh, I'm sorry. 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 Oh. Um, we're All right. So who did we talk to? Shaggy jokes. Uh, we talked to Nate's cousin, Nate Patron. No, it's, it's not really Nate's cousin. Um, Another dude named Nate who loves hip hop, who has a beard. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was a little scary, actually. But Nate Patron. <laughs> has a new book out called Bring That Beat Back that talks all about the, the history of sampling. Enjoyed uh, reading some excerpts of it quite a bit. And we were gracious, or he was gracious enough to come on the program. So here is our interview with author Nate Patron. Dad bod rap pod, another week, another show, another dope guest. We have on the line, Nate Patron, writer who has a book coming out called Bring That Beat Back, uh, which we've all had a chance to read some samples of and a really excited book drops next Friday or in wherever you're at, May 29th. Uh, welcome to the program, Nate, how's it going? Hey, going, uh, going pretty good, glad to be here. That's awesome. Uh, two Nates is about the max we're going to do on this program. So yeah, I think that's the most Nates that have been in the same proximity. Uh, Sometimes. Are you sometime. a Nathaniel? Uh, Nathaniel on the birth certificate. But yeah, totally. Nate to save syllables. It's actually funny. Uh, this is something I've thought about for a lot of my life. I was I. I was like, oh, if I ever write a book or do something important, I'll use the Nathaniel. But now I realize yeah. I'm definitely not going to. <laughs> well, I mean, I've, I've been writing under, you know, Nate as my byline since I was yeesh, early 20s. So it's, it's pretty much a permanent thing. Hmm. Yeah. 
totally. Um, so we really enjoyed the book. Um, thank you. And thank you to your folks for sending it to us. Um, we were all kind of, uh, talking about how we're adjusting to reading books via PDF, um, in in these times. And it's a way that all three of us can share, you know, something and, uh, it's, it's not optimal, but it is kind of cool, um, to have it all in one place and to, um, be able to like outline, you know, highlight and do little things and programs that you can't really do in a book or I wouldn't do to a book out of respect for the book, weirdly. But uh, yeah, man, it's a, it's an accomplishment and we're excited to kind of dive into you. Um, so I guess, can you describe what it is? Because most people by the time they're hearing this will not have had a chance to hold the book or really know what it is. Just tell us about the project. Well, it's a, uh, it's basically a uh, sort of holistic overview of the, history of sampling and not not just sampling per se as done on a sampler but uh, early forms like pause tapes and uh, and you know tape splicing and you know going back to the uh, earliest uh, hip hop bj sets it's basically an examination of how hip hop as a genre and a style of music uh, you know from you know being a style of djing to its own uh, aesthetic uh, over the years has really done a number on the uh, ability for, I would say, it's, it's kind of a way of communicating with the history of music that I, that I find fascinating in that it's, it's recontextualizing, taking bits that might, you know, either be familiar or just very effective uh, pieces of music and rearranging them into, into something new that's simultaneously resonant of its source material and its own new thing. Right. Uh, hopefully that didn't sound too, uh, too convoluted, but. <laughs> nope. Nope. That's, that sounds like a, a, a writer who wrote a whole ass book about sampling, <laughs> uh, trying to boil it down for us. Can, can you give us a, an idea of when this concept, which I'm sure had been kicking around in your head for a while, when did you, when did you, and what made you kind of press go on? I'm going to do a whole, book on this topic like when did that kind of thought train get going well it's it's always been one of the uh, ways i really engage with music uh since pretty much forever i mean uh, just the very process of sampling uh, you know fascinated me when i first when i first got the uh got the gist of it uh roughly around the time run dmc was breaking big and it was like okay oh yeah they're doing a version of this aerosmith song that's sort of a cover but it's also sort of a sort of its own different thing so uh once that kind of sunk into place that's how i really found myself like using it as a conduit to kind of listen to and find uh music I hadn't heard before in an own and in its own sort of way. Like, um, like the whole, uh, um, I, 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 do people still call it sample snitching? It's, it's <laughs> that's a great, that's a great question because Nate, before you got on, we were talking about that exact thing, sample snitching yeah. in terms of for those at home who aren't in the streets, like the Nates, Uh, sample snitching is when somebody reveals the sample source that a producer has used so the whole site who sampled for example is an elaborate sample snitching um space and i'm sorry not to cut you off but we were curious as to kind of did you have a rubric around that um and and were there times where you did or didn't because of your belief about sample snitching 
Well, I think personally, it's the sort of thing where I guess, you know, the cat's out of the bag now and it didn't reveal any long lost industry trade secrets. Most of it, like, I think most of it is just, you know, pretty simple common knowledge. And that's actually brings me to a thought I had uh, sort of as a, uh, uh, it's a it's a bit more of a concluding thought, so maybe we can save it for later if we talk about like the future of sampling and such. But it it, it does kind of stir in some ideas of how it's it's a bit more of a promotional tool nowadays than yeah. it is a yeah. uh, a kind of code of silence. That's that's interesting. Hey Nate, I, I had a question for you real quick. I mean, um, it's a very uh, elaborate uh, look at everything. I mean, you, you go all the way back to Grandmaster Flowers and of course, you know, jump around to Prince Paul and, you know, all the greats and synth- synthetic substitution, funky drummer, all that stuff. Um, but if you could kind of go back in time and pick one time period and sort of just shoulder tap one of these producers um, and kind of just peek over their shoulder, kind of see what they're doing, um, who would it be? Which era would it be? Yeah, that is a tough one. I mean, breaking it down into individual uh, producers was was hard enough because I wanted to write about the whole eras and the whole scenes that were surrounding these uh, artists. And so I uh, I took a took a uh, emphasis on picking artists who were notable in their own right, but also had enough people orbiting them, whether directly or stylistically, to uh, kind of. Uh, make a make a whole set, uh, make a whole sort of picture of what was going on at the time, but I think, yeah, I mean, it's it's you know the cornball early forty something answer, but I think the uh, just like the native tongues uh, kind yeah. of uh, uh, and pretty much everybody who's in that general vicinity. I think if you want to um, like include Q-Tip as a, as a producer, he'd sure. be a amazing kind of shadow for a while but um mm-hmm. yeah i think well and i think just like watching you know those first you know de la soul records come together because you know that there was just like a lot of really deep hardcore record nerd stuff going down that yep. like i i remember like one of the more notable uh uh you know things i like to that you know that i've read and i like to kind of stress when it comes to writing about sample-based music is for the most part the vast majority of producers like love their source material they don't necessarily have like a oh wouldn't it be you know wacky if we sampled this track and then people would laugh see that's not like you know like prince paul sampled hollow oats for a say no go because you know they loved the track they didn't you know want to make a whimsical comment on 80s kitsch or what have you it was just it was just a a track that worked for them. So I think that's one of the things I really like to look into is how producers really approach their uh, source material and how they get things to fit per se. Uh, Nate, when you were deciding on this construction and I'll just kind of lay it out for the listeners, were you like, was it kind of like this? And you hinted at it a little bit, but I want to go a little bit deeper into it. Um, It's like Grandmaster Flash gets me, Park Jams, Bambata, um, you know, Sugar Hill, et cetera. And then Prince Paul gets me Q-Tip and um, RZA mm-hmm. and blah, blah, blah. And then Mad Lib gets me Dilla 
and mm-hmm. Doom and like, is were you kind of did did you cluster them in that way and then decide who would be the hero or did you decide who would be the hero and then see where you where it could get you kind of scholastically? It was kind of somewhere in between. I mean, I had like a pretty short list of of uh, producers who I thought could carry their own sections and, um, like you know. M- Maybe it's kind of the obvious choice, but Dre for the West Coast, uh, for instance, at least for the first real big wave out there. Um, yeah, I think the trickiest was uh, was the last chapter in which, uh, I mean, putting Madlib as the central focus uh, was the closest I had to a question for myself because, it, you know, you could easily say that Jay Dilla is more of a notable example of of a beat maker than uh, than uh, madlib i would say they're both i mean they're both very complementary uh towards each other they're both like uh i'm trying to find of a good a good example like kind of like the you know john lennon and harry nilson of hip-hop beats or, or <laughs> except except with uh with probably with with less drunken carousing um but um <laughs> Yeah, I, I basically wanted to end the book on a chapter where the uh, producer in question was still out there in a going concern and still making beats and still, I would say, arguably, you know, at a high point in his uh, in his artwork because, uh, you know, Bandana was a fantastic record. So. Right, right. And and maybe the a real great argument for why centering on Madlib going into the new generation is that he is probably still the preeminent sampler the person who samples, who uses sample his, as his primary kind of color palette uh, yeah. with his records. Oh yeah, I'd say that. And also just the fact that he had so many different routes through it. Yeah. Uh, like I'm thinking about, you know, the, the brief period sort of post the uh, first Quasimodo record when he was basically doing multi-track recordings of himself playing live instruments. That was, right. uh, you know, that's uh something that you do get uh, hip hop producers doing every so often. And sometimes you get somebody like Jay zone who goes all the way into, I'm, you know, I'm mm-hmm. going to become a session drummer. Yep. Um, so, but I think that, uh, yeah. And I think the other thing that really gets me about Madlib is that that's like who he is, is record mm. shopping. I mean, that's, yeah. that's basically like, you can imagine like, you know, other hip hop artists, you know, and, and other producers just having, you know, other general interests, but Madlib is basically just like, yeah, the kind of person who lives through art. There's mm. no real, I mean, there's, you know, there's obviously something there, there, like as, as far as like having a, you know, personality and an outlook, but I think somebody that deep into what he's doing where, like, you know, he'll go on an all expenses paid trip to you know, Brazil to do a presentation at Red Bull and he'll spend, you know, all the time he's not doing a lecture, uh, you know, record shopping and making beats in his hotel room. It's that's right. kind of like the level of both DIY drive and adaptability and basically restlessness that I think really embodies a sort of cross-generational aspect where, you know, yeah, Madlib came up in the kind of like tail end of the 90s, you know, mm-hmm. indie rap backpacker kind of uh, upswing. And he's going to the point where, you know, he's like 
you know, started sound alike movements on, you know, just random YouTube channels. I, I right. think, I, I, I think Dill is probably a bit more of the uh, main influence on the lo-fi hip hop beats to chill and study too, or what have sure. you. <laughs> sure. But yeah, I think there's just this very eclectic enthusiasm to Mad Lib stuff where, you know, he'll do things usually like, like quickly just rattle off some sketches and sometimes those sketches turn out to be, you know, bigger things. And sometimes they're just good and simple on their own. Yeah. He, he hops from so many different uh, styles and influences. He'll do like a, like the fact that he did, you know, like a, like a Bollywood soundtrack album and right. then he'll do like a right. psychedelic rock album and then he'll right. you know, go back to jazz fusion for a while. It's, it's, that's the kind of, you know, kind of threat that comes from, from being a crate digger and just really going beyond, you know, which of these breaks will sound good on my record to this almost antiquarian curatorial sort of vibe. Mm. Yeah. I, I wonder, cause I know this is true for, uh, for us here, but for sampling for you, was it a gateway drug to kind of other genres? You mentioned all the different things Mad Lib sampled which i always use as a starting point to be like what is this brazilian record and then who is this and then who is this do you have a kind of a similar uh did sampling and your love for the the craft of it lead you down kind of different directions in your own musical tastes and journey yeah in a way i mean i did grow up uh luckily enough in a fairly uh musical household where like my folks had some pretty wild stuff in their collections like my stepdad was super into, you know, still is uh, like super into jazz. Where it's like John Coltrane, Archie Shep, uh, you know, Sonny Rollins, uh, you know, Herbie Hancock, all the all the like foundational like '60s and uh, early '70s artists, uh, and you know, and then my you know my uh, mom was into stuff like you know folk and blues and you know Bob Dylan and such and. I had the archetypal cool older sibling who's my brother who I dedicated the book to who is like four years older than me. And so he had that kind of like another level in high in, in school above you kind of experience was like, okay, well, if you like, you know, run DMC, you should check out the beastie boys. And if you check out the beastie boys, check out De La Soul and from De La Soul to tribe and gangstar and so on. So I had guidance and I also just had, uh, just this tendency to be an independent listener. And, you know, if you have like a, um, I, I still live in St. Paul and that's where I came up and grew up. And when you have like college radio and, you know, I, I lived like a very short distance from a, uh, from McAllister college, the uh, kind of small sort of prestigious liberal arts college that's uh, most famous for uh, I believe it was uh, Kofi Annan and Bob Mould of Husker Du both went there. Not at the same time. Not about to say, not at the same time. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. Anyway, long story short is uh, there is a record store between my house and this college campus. So I don't mm. you know, go there all the time and find all these just unreal things that you know college students would you know cast off or sell for beer money and so that kind of like helped build this kind of wide open field of 
just fascinating possibility for for me and i think that it also helped me like reassess some bands like i'm gonna say right here right now that i don't know if i'd really be as much into steely dan as i am if it weren't for hip-hop mm. talk <laughs> you know, about like, it yeah De La or lord tree computer guns or mf doom or I mean, it's like, oh yeah, that's, that's like what kind of gets me about hip hop is that's, that's one of those genres where like you get deep enough into it and you're going to know about session players. You're going to have like a real interest in like, okay, who played, you know, who played bass on this? You know, their name's not on the cover, but they're, uh, they're somebody noteworthy. It's, you know, I, and eventually down that road leads, you know, what records did Bernard Purdy really play on and so right, on and so right. forth. And it gets, so it gets into this sort of intersectional sense of a genre that had its origins literally in tastemakers and selections where you right. have, yeah, it's a, it's a DJ driven genre and right. you get the real time feedback on the dance floor. You go from that to something that's a, that's almost a bit more like an, like a curator or an archivist it's yeah it's it's a funny way to really kind of express your own taste and kind of engage with others i don't think there are really many uh, hip-hop producers that I, i've studied who have these kind of like who have narrow casted tastes mm. uh, i i know i grew up kind of sort of straddling two kind of areas because i was listening to like hip-hop and dance music at the same time I was kind of like getting into indie rock and I found indie rock was a lot more restrictive and like like uh I would say uh the anxiety of influence really really held uh more significantly than uh I mean it's yeah, it, there's a there's a level of I wouldn't say reverence per se in hip hop, but it's it's a bit more like awareness I would say of having something going on that's really um, I mean really right there to be uh, to be pulled apart and repieced back together in, in different ways and in, in ways nobody expects. Well, I, I that's a great point because I I think that and maybe this is in the book, y'all, I only read two chapters, but I think that in some ways sampling in the curatorial sense is a, is a commentary on musical ideas that have lived on. So in your Steely Dan example, um, the, the, their best musical, not best, but the ones that are most translate relevant to today come through in these samples. And then as a hip hop enthusiast, you can kind of work backwards because I, I love that you brought that up because that's probably why I like Steely Dan. Um, yeah. Do you think that sampling, um, and, and you mentioned this as, at, at the outset, do you think that it affirms the, the greatness of the artists who are, are sampled or as some of these artists fear, does it make them a footnote? Like I think Paul McCartney doesn't let you sample stuff because he doesn't want like Will Smith uh, sampling Patrice Russian thing to happen where you're hearing his song and thinking about a cheesy rap song. So I mm. think that's like the fear, but do you think sampling ultimately uplifts the artist who was sampled or is it, does it somehow mess with their work? It really is a contextual thing, but I think for, 
the most part, I mean, it really depends on if you have uh, an artist who uh, who puts together a, a beat like they're a DJ versus an artist who puts together a beat like they're like there's something else per se, like they're, um, like I think that one of the things that I'm coming up with is, you remember the whole the whole trend for bootlegs in the in the, uh, the mashups, mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. you had you know, Danger Mouse and Girl Talk and, and right. you know, the like, and they're doing these very deliberate juxtapositions that seem like almost like, like a commentary on you know here's here's history in front of us and we're messing with it we're like putting together uh sounds that shouldn't belong together but are and it's funny and uh sure, sure. <laughs> that's kind of like what i was thinking about in terms of like not necessarily holding true to the artist but more like commentating commentating on them but it's also i i, I like to think that the you know, like the, the DJ curator style or also the composer who's basically uh, using a beat where, uh, you know, a producer of an earlier generation would just hire, a, you know, a, a session player to, to work something out. I think there's, there's a sense that something's being sampled or lifted because it's well, it's the sound that already exists, and in doing so, it inspires an art, like a, a beat maker or producer, to draw on shared memory to make something that I think is a is maybe simultaneously resonant with the experience that the original artist had making it, and the experience that the uh, producer or the sampling party had hearing it and kind of internalizing it and like, what does this song mean to me? And then what does this little piece of this song mean to me? And then what do I, you know, what happens if I, if I stretch things to a, to a, another limit or another level? And uh, yeah, so I, I get what you mean about associations and it really is hard sometimes to, to shake. Like I, I really cannot listen to, uh, you know, Queen and David Bowie's Under Pressure at all anymore. Right? <laughs> yeah, it's, and, you know, part of it is because, you know, I hadn't heard that when uh, I was 13 and being bombarded with Ice Ice Baby every five minutes on the radio. So it's, it's. There's horrible associations that can happen that yeah. mar the original song. I think Patrice Russian's Forget Me Nots and Will Smith's oh, The Men in Black. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, and that, yeah, it doesn't help when you like interpolate the the lyrics too. You know, it's yeah, hip hop like, is good for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, although you, you get some real funny ones too. The um, um, God, uh, was it? Uh, oh, um, is it? Uh, uh, not, yeah, it was. I will survive at the. Uh, at the beginning of uh, Bring the Pain. Yes. It's like, yes. oh, like it, it, I didn't even recognize it the first few times around when I, I heard it and then I realized, oh. So, right? That was, uh, that, was, that, was a, that was a pretty funny, uh, funny case, yeah.
So Nate, I wanted to uh, talk a little bit about the construction of the book in, in these terms. Um, I'm a bibliography reader and a, in this case, a discography reader. And it just seems like you did an immense amount of work um, to, to kind of get to the point where you felt comfortable writing this. I also wanted to give Dave a shout out. He appears twice in the bibliography, once uh, from a printed <laughs> Wax Poetics interview and once from a, uh, a web only one with Pete Rock. So that's a nice little confluence <laughs> for us. But yeah. Um, yeah, I just wanted to see like, how long did you work on this? And when did you, were you writing the whole time? Or did you do a big group of research and then outline and then tackle sections? Or like, how, how did you write this book? Man, it was, uh, it went from outline to research chapter by chapter to writing. And okay. eventually I started to realize where things were kind of echoing each other and uh, doubling back on a previous remark or a statement. And then, you know, things get a little re reworked from there. But for the most part, it was like simultaneously knowing what to write and then learning what to write. It's, it's a matter of having the ideas and just needing you know, the backup for them. And the backup is where I got, uh, is the, uh, is in the bibliography. I mean, there are so many different sources I, I was able to, uh, to draw from, you know, from, you know, artist biographies to like, just, yeah, big stacks of wax poetics, vibe, double XL, the source, uh, and, you know, general interest magazines too, like, you know, billboard and rolling stone and spin and whatnot. And then, um, man, just, I think the, I think part of what's really gets me about writing though, is the act of like, it's, you know, what the old joke is, it's dancing about architecture. It's, uh, it's trying to describe <laughs> music in terms that may not necessarily use insider terminology or, or technical notation, sure. but is really, uh, it's it's you know it's it's own thing of like trying to evoke what something means without necessarily having that uh, that piece that you're writing about immediately available. Now, of course, you can have it immediately available. Uh, you know, since I started writing, it's like oh yeah, you can go onto YouTube and get anything you want. But right. in any case, it's just a matter, I think, of uh, of having accumulated knowledge and experience and trying to figure out how to express that in a way that has as much, you know, support from other, from other parties and other writers and uh, just general history. Mm -hmm. okay. hey, um, Nate, we would, um, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about Paul C and his legacy. And uh, he obviously shows up in the book and um, you know, it's a, uh, it's one that's sort of shrouded in, uh, tragedy and has now been mythologized. Um, for our listeners who are not familiar with Paul C's importance and the sort of what would have been um, legacy surrounding that, can you talk a little bit about his history and his projects and his know-how and everything for just future generations to know about his work? Wow, that is uh, yeah, that is quite a bit to go over. Uh, Paul McCaskey was, uh, and he was kind of the uh, trying to think of a good. Point of comparison. Well, he was really just, I mean, he was one of those like real deep in the studio kind of gearheads who was really able to dig deep into a, into a machine, whether it was, you know, a sampler or, or some other 
uh, device and like really work around its its limitations and hack it to the point where he's doing things nobody else knew how to do. Uh, he was, um, I believe, he was uh, like tight with ultramagnetics for a while because, uh, like at the time, I believe, said G was the only person in the Bronx who had an SP12, and so they're uh, basically kind of like you know studying from each other and riffing off each other and. Um, it was, um, oh, geez, I, I wish I had my notes in front of me, but I know that he, uh, his, uh, oh, his, there, I'm a little out of it. his big, um, was it the, uh, is, was it synthetic substitution that he, or that was, that was just a said you thing, I think. It was the, um, oh, it was the uh, uh, give the drummer some. That's it. Sorry. Mm -hmm. no. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, his uh, uh, his like getting that particular drum sound off. Get the drummer some uh, off the uh, that there is a time uh, cover version by that one uh, defleece trio. Uh, I think the the way he was able to really get the parts of the drum break kind of isolated and had the levels mess with so that everything was super crisp and clear and just mm -hmm. hit like that. I think that was really was what helped really help make his uh, early reputation. And he was able to get some, uh, you know, get some, get some steady gigs in like he was, you know, working with uh, Bismarcky, uh, Eric B and Rakim, he was doing the beat were supposed to be uh, the first organized confusion record. Right. And then he was, he was shot and killed. Uh, nobody knows who did it or why it's still unsolved at the last I checked. And it's just a very, whew, it's just a very like, what if kind of story to or a remarkable extent because he, yeah, Paul C would have been up there with like, I think was it uh large professor is, is pretty much his, uh, like the guy who carries on the Paul C tradition. The most I would say, um, they are, they're direct, like, you know, collaborators and friends. And I think if you want to get a better idea of where he could have been going, or if you just, you know, want to listen to, you know, listen to some of the best beats ever made, you can just you know, listen to a more large professor and then, you know, go back and check out the Paul C discography and find out where some of that came from. Although I think um, the, like the article that you really need to read about that is uh, Gino Sorcinelli's uh, piece on Microchop about the, about the life and death of Paul C. McCasty that, uh, that was around a couple years ago and, really really fantastic amazing stuff it's a fantastic article i actually edited that for gino uh, when it came out and helped him with some yeah. research yeah it's it's it, i think it serves as probably the most in-depth primer and uh, besides um dave Tompkins' brilliant article many years back about it mm -hmm. so nate uh we just want to thank you um i think the book is a big accomplishment i really appreciate that you took on 
um, Prince Paul, who's, you know, kind of a friend of the program and someone we really admire and whose music we love and who's just such a great person um, in terms of being a, you know, just a a hugely important figure in kind of hip hop and hip hop's left field, as well as Madlib, who, um, as you noted earlier, has such a unique approach to sampling and um, is still at the top of the game. So I, I, I like the, the flash sections. I like the, the Dre sections. Um, but I felt like those two areas are doing something new and doing something that hadn't been covered before. And I appreciate you kind of bringing that to the forefront. Like that, that part of hip hop is old enough to be viewed in hindsight now, even if it's like micro hindsight in terms of bandana. But um, yeah, just wanted to <laughs> say thanks and real really, really enjoyed uh, reading this book and we'll probably read it again someday. All right, well, excellent. Thank you. Yeah, we uh, thanks for coming on the program. We want to let everybody know that Bring That Beat Back is coming out, University of Michigan Press. Minnesota. Ma- Minnesota. Michigan. Oh, man. I'm starting wars. Is it Gophers? <laughs> That's Wolverines, not Gophers. Um, Gophers, not Wolverines. Yeah, sorry. You know, we got the better college. They got the cooler mascot. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um, uh, it'll be out on May 29th. Uh, we encourage everybody who's a hip-hop enthusiast, of course you are if you're listening to this, to go out and cop it. One more time, thank you so much, Nate. Thanks, Nate. Appreciate it, man. Thank you. Excellent. Have a good one. All right, that was our interview with author Nate Patron. Um, bring that beat back. I read a couple chapters, as I mentioned, and um, it's one of those that I can't finish reading it as a PDF, but I would definitely get the book. And I, we're not being paid to say that. Like, I would definitely get this book. We didn't get into it too deep uh, during the interview, but some of the stuff about hip hop, the early parts especially, have been written to death. And mm-hmm. I kind of am always like, ah, what new can be said? I, mm-hmm. I think you alluded to this, Nate, in the interview, is that like he really thoughtfully touches on some of the newer history right. um, of hip hop in a, in a way that I think is cool. So I would I definitely recommend it. I don't think we're ever going to be able to interview Madlib or like really anyone from that world. So like I really like a, a deep a deep view into that. And uh, it was interesting to hear him kind of parse the the Madlib chapter has a lot about Dilla and it was interesting to hear him say like he was kind of on the fence about that Mm -hmm. choice because Mm -hmm. Dilla's relationship with sampling is somewhat different than Madlib's. I just think of Madlib as the guy who like scans through the records and he'll just grab weird stuff and make like sketches out of them, which is so interesting. Like a whole, a whole song that like, you know, he doesn't like go gold or whatever, but like occasionally he does. And it's like, that was something he found in a basement and just put the needle down for 10 seconds, grabbed, and then just went off. Like it's so, it's so different from like a Q-tip curatorial, Mm -hmm. like this was my dad's thing. And this baseline is in six, eight. So that like makes it actually three, four. And you know what I mean? It's like, it's like, it's just like, he's like flipping through the channels and grabbing such like random snippets of things. So I'm I'm glad that he kind of stuck with that, but then you have to kind of discuss 
Dilla and his whole time thing, that time Dilla stretching. time yeah. weird woozy right. thing. The, woozy. the whole the whole section is really really well done. Um, so yeah, it was cool. I'm 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 glad I read this book. I will probably get a copy for the shelf at some point when we're back to making uh, purchases. Like I already read this book, but I want everyone to know who comes over to my house style purchases. People coming over to your house. Go 2022. Oh gosh. Um, yeah, Dave. I thought your gotcha question at the end, uh, prompting him to give an oral history of Paul C on the spot, was <laughs> just real quick. Nate P uh, on yeah. Paul C. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it. You know, he's certainly a huge, hugely important character, and it's yeah, it's so wrapped up in mythology. I mean, you can go on the internet and just look it up, and there's a million guys talking about his con- his death conspiracy alone. It's just too much. Wow. So it's it's nice. Wow. Okay. It's it's nice to get like a holy, um, focused. A couple chapters on it, and um, you know, yes, I mean, and like to focus on the music. Like we don't right. really know what happened, but we do know his engineering was second Prowess. to none, and that right. is like his his ear for what yeah. we want about hip hop. Like it's it's really hard to find a hip hop song as good as Ultramagnetic MCs give the drummer some. Like totally, everything totally. about that sounds so brilliant, and right. it's like that, that's the kind of shit we love. So it's just so right. it's cool to have a. A chapter of a book that I one hundred percent be like, this is the stuff I like. Like yeah. I love Dr. Dre, but that's like it's just different. And Dre right. was also such a skilled engineer, and his music sounds so widescreen, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. But like the whole mythology of Paul C should be like kind of, I think, not to diss anyone, but it's it, for me. I would much prefer to focus on the music than the 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 tales that are not around the macabre aspect thank you right 100 percent. right 100 percent. so it's good to see um nate patron uh, lay everything out and sort of talk about the um uh the the history with pharaoh munch and and you know how how paul c was going to produce their um organized confusions first album and so Mm. yeah man uh, it was really good to get nate on the um get nate on the line um i I was a great read and it's always good to have these 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 literature ben- benchmarks of like books yes. that are that come out so yes. for sure i have a little homework for you guys in a couple of weeks i'll give you a couple of weeks off okay. <laughs> yeah we have, a, we have another one coming up i want to do but we have to pace it so everyone can live their life absolutely but we are to nate's point we we welcome uh writers presses that are, are doing hip-hop uh yes. related work um it has always been our belief here that uh, we need more more books about hip hop that are examining more eras than just the beginning. Right. Um, and so shout out to Nate Patron for coming on the program. We as a group, as a unit, as a gang, as a crew, uh, often agree on things and sometimes we disagree on things. <laughs> and the things we disagree on tend to get more listens. So here's a new segment we're going to call Overrated, Underrated. Um, basically the way it's going to work is this. Each of us is going to throw properly out the- rated a choice. Um, rated. Mm. <laughs> go on. Go <laughs> on. Sammy semantics. Always I know. Coming I haven't in had a the, chance uh, to do that in a while, but go thank on. You. Go on. Thank you. I'll continue. Uh, in this edition of overrated, underrated, we are going to each throw out the name of an artist and then kind of parse through and have a discussion about whether said artist is over or underrated. And to answer your question, Mr. Semantics, we are basically saying that you can only be either or. For this particular okay. thought exercise, you're either overrated or you're underrated. 
Okay. Okay. So those, that helps those me are the figure out how I feel about my choice. Yeah. So those <laughs> those are those are the two choices. So we're we're each gonna throw out one and kind of parse through it. You can always jump into this conversation on the back end by hitting us up on Twitter at Dad Bod Rat Pod. Um, and if I like your response, I will read it on the air because. <laughs> Unlike some outlets, I don't just steal people's tweets. I steal them and give them credit. Um, so anyway, overrated, underrated. I will start, and this kind of branches off of uh, the, one of the more recent beat battles, and this is how you know we've gotten deep into the quarantine because now we're on this battle. Um, Ludacris versus Nelly uh, for the crunk title of the universe. I don't know. I don't know what the fuck that was. But... It got, it got an interesting conversation going on Twitter around um, Ludacris. And it was interesting to hear folks offer up Ludacris as an underrated rapper hmm. that in, in the grand scheme of things for what he's done, he hasn't gotten his proper due. So I would, I'll throw it out to y'all and then I'll chime in with my thoughts, but Ludacris, overrated or underrated Nathaniel LeBlanc? Under. You're going under. I'm going under, and this is why. Okay. He is somewhat ubiquitous, right? Since he, like, emerged, like, he had great videos. Sure. And that automatically led to, like, an acting career. Like, he's, he's so charismatic. I think he's a very good rapper. Like, in my world, when Luda came out, he was not cool to like. Like, we, like, Journeyman or whatever. Yeah, mm-hmm. he was, like, radio. seen as, he was seen as pop and Southern and all these other buzzwords of things that like didn't, didn't rate, but I always liked Ludacris. Like I don't own anything on wax. He's not that kind of guy for me. I never played the kind of establishments where his music was going to go over well, but like I'm having trouble thinking of like, like I never turn the radio when he comes on and it's not because the songs are so funny. It's because they're so good. They sound good. They're like really well produced. He's a good rapper. I like his voice. I like his, he can play with flow and intonation. Like he's a good MC. I think as, as a pure MC, he's thought of more as like an entertainer, but I think mm-hmm. as a rapper, he's quite good and in that way underrated. Okay. Hasn't got his proper due. Dave Ma, Ludacris. Well, I mean, since we can't pick properly rated, um, I, would, I would go underrated as well. I, um, okay. I, it reminds me of this uh, episode of Punk where uh, they had Method Man bring in Ludacris to rap over like this terrible whack beat. And he did it anyways. And then afterwards he, afterward he goes up to Method Man who set him up and was like, yo, I, I still wrote that beat, right? And he did. And so to my point, I mean, Ludacris can definitely rap. He has presence. I always yeah. thought he was funny. You know yeah. what I mean? I just never took him seriously as a thing. And I know dude has major hits. Um, the, there was a debate on Twitter whether he was lyrical or not. And I think, I mean, I think it depends on what your definition of lyrical means. But I mean, for someone in that position, I thought he, he was pretty strong with his lyrics. I mean, okay. dude was funny. And so uh, I think he is underrated. You're going underrated, has not gotten his proper due. Yeah, it, it, was, it was an interesting weekend for the, uh, the Luda revisionist renaissance on Twitter. Um, <laughs> So I, I would agree with, with everything that's been said, to a, to, but up to a point. So Luda is obviously a person with a great voice. He was a radio DJ. Um, and I think that's where his, I, his entertainer kind of persona comes from. He, uh, he has a great voice. Flow, intonation, 
mic control. I remember his early stuff being like, this dude has a chop, you know, as, as rappers will say, like he has a chop, like you can tell he can rap fast. He can rap slow. He mm -hmm. can pronounce his, his enunciate. Um, and he has hits. I think all of Luda's hits go in a solid B category. <laughs> there isn't, there isn't one Luda song where you're like, Oh my God, this is no, they're all solid B's. Um, and I also know this for a fact that someone who was kind of like in this crossover phase of trying to get into more mainstreamy stuff at a point and trying to fuck with Luda does not have one good album. Like it never, <laughs> it never worked on an album level. Like it never, gotcha. ever. An hour's a long worked. time. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> right. He, he should have done a EP with DJ Mugs and had the, like a, a 28 minute, you know right? what I'm saying? 25. Like I know he's way past that now, but if right. that had existed then he would have been huge. I mean, he been, huge. he's huge. Um, but it was, he's one of those kind of stars that, um, you know, like Vin Diesel or The Rock, where bankable stars, they can be in movies that you've never heard of and you know who they are, but they're not A, right? And so mm -hmm. I, I kind of feel like Luda is on that level of rappers who are good at rapping, who have songs that you kind of remember, but are not, is not at that level. Now, here's why I say he's overrated, and I'm going with overrated, because He's so underrated that now he's overrated. This, <laughs> this, this happened to DJ Quick, where everybody was like, DJ Quick is the best producer nobody talks mm -hmm, about, mm -hmm. until it's like, okay, now that's all we talk about now. Right. I, I uh, hear that, but we have to go back to your terrible film argument for one second. <laughs> one, they're all in those movies together, Fast and the Furious, so it's funny that you brought that, that, mm -hmm. those, those mm -hmm. guys up specifically, but... The Rock has completely climbed out of what you're talking about, and is like him and Vin Diesel an are the same person. Dog. I don't make a I don't make a distinction between no. The Rock and Vin Diesel. No. Do you notice when they did the uh, Fur the Fast and the Furious spinoff movie? It was not about Dom. It was about <laughs> The Rock because The Rock can open a movie by himself, and Vin Diesel cannot. So what you're telling me is is The Rock is Vince Staples, and Vin Diesel <laughs> is Vic Mensa. Is that what you're telling me? Jeez, I, I gotta Damn write it. that one down. Uh, sorry, my brain matter is all over the computer <laughs> screen. I cannot track so many different thoughts. You need um, a diagram for that one. Yeah, totally. Uh, uh, Nate saying, can't let none of my bad metaphors ride. Rock, like, he he, he always has to get into it. Can open a movie on 5,000 screens and Vin Diesel can try, but it'll be like that third triple X movie. You're like, oh, that exists. Okay, so, so I would go with Luda, Vin Diesel. Yeah, I hear you. I, that part out. of your metaphor, I'm yeah. good with. He's not gonna, he's not gonna uh, move the needle for the culture with music at this point. And I hear what you're saying. None of his songs are like all timers. And he had his own headphones. Did you he don't really? remember this? I don't. He had his own headphones. So this was at the the dawn of, and this is how we know where his wave crested. So he was at <laughs> when the headphones thing started to be, when beats came into being, when that was like a lane people were pursuing. Luda had his own signature headphones. You know, I know Chicken this. Ear cans. <laughs> On either side, that would have been dope. That actually would have been a better sell. I only know about this because I was at Marshall's and they were on the Impulse Buy Rack. And that is my comment about Ludacris. Overrated, underrated, continues. Nate, what is your middle name? Uh, Jordan, Nathaniel Jordan. Nate J. LeBlanc, that's right. Yes, yes, yeah. exactly. Uh, uh, who is your artist? Until I can get out of the house and murder that guy who has my real Twitter handle I want. That'll be my, <laughs> my Twitter handle. Uh, I, okay, 
similar artist actually, Trick Daddy. Oh, kids. Thoughts. Wow. I, uh, you know what? I, that, that, that's a hard one because I'm not super duper. Again, I think he's properly rated. I think I'm gonna, I'm gonna go overrated. I'm gonna go overrated because <laughs> I just frankly don't like that much, that many, that many of his songs. You know what I mean? And people who do like him, I think, aren't really sort of my crowd anyway. So the people who are sort of into God, I forgot what what his big song was a few uh, like eight years ago. Um, uh, there's I'm a thug. There's sugar on your tongue, and there's um, damn non. Okay, you maybe I'm thinking of non. You don't know Nan. Nan is a bread. Nan is a bread. Nan That's hilarious. Uh, yeah. ten, Tendoria. Um, anyways, <laughs> Tendori joke. I'm out of here. Uh, yeah, oh, I, yeah, I would go overrated, but I mean, I, I'm probably not the best demographic target for that. All right. You so Trick I mean? Daddy Twitter, please come for Dave Moss. <laughs> I know. Not all of us. Is there a Trick Daddy Twitter? That would be a funny group of people. Wow. It's oh, two wow. people. <laughs> um wow <laughs> trick daddy damn that's a stumper um yeah trick dad bod trick dad bod <laughs> rep pod um bod. i was always i'm gonna go with underrated and i'll say this because there was a school of thought at a particular time that he was not good at rapping which i think which i think was unwarranted and in, in a in a kind of and don't nate don't come for me yet in, in kind of an old dirty bastardy, like a down south old dirty bastard. Okay. Um, that's how Trick Daddy showed up for me. And I always remember, like, because I was a Trina fan. Um, still am, Trina, if you're out there. Uh, I always was, like, kind of impressed when he would come through. Like, oh, okay, like, you, you kind of did that. You know, for somebody who, for many, was widely considered to be terrible, right? Like. So I'm going to go with Slip and Slide, uh, underrated for, for Trick Daddy. Wow. Appreciate it. Okay, so this is why I brought it up. When we were deciding what we were going to do today, I kind of wandered over to my records, and I was just kind of, you know, like, feeling right. fine. Like, where's my hand going to stop? And I have three Trick Daddy 12 inches, and they're all on mm. those Slip and Slide, like, generic. Yeah. Um, Sleeves the yellow with the blue mm -hmm. and the orange writing. It looks like a step and repeat at like a really <laughs> shitty like Miami like fashion event. Right. Um, and like I've kept those through many purges and through okay. many like I, I haven't DJed a setting where it would be appropriate to play no? Daddy probably ever, but I would sometimes. <laughs> and like he is he's kind of a guilty pleasure artist for me, but where I think he's underrated and I'm going underrated is. I don't think he gets enough credit for his role in bringing the South to prominence. Mm. Like before him, yeah, this is pre Rick Ross or like Rick Ross yeah. was in his in incubatory stages. So when you thought of Miami, you thought of Luke. Luke. And Post Luke. Luke. Like, yeah. like Trick Daddy's music is not all that dissimilar. It's not Miami based. It's more of like a, a hip hop sound, but um, it's, it's kind of dirty. It's raunchy. It's party yeah. music. I do think he's a good rapper. And when he juxtaposed things like say, a talking head sample out of nowhere on sugar mm -hmm. on my tongue or a, a children's chorus on I'm a thug, which is just like, that song just makes me super happy. Like I love that song. I listened to it on Sunday. I'm like dancing around the kitchen, like bothering my wife. Like I just think that song's amazing <laughs> on many levels. And if you take the 
parts apart, it's not like the most amazing technical achievement, but what it is is memorable. And I think that he's okay. a little bit underrated because he, the one, the www.thug.com, like whole era is kind of iconic. It's like, it just captures that move from like AOL to Netscape. Like he just <laughs> captured something about like the internet becoming a real thing in like, and like kind of staking his claim in that space oh, visually I like I, yeah. it's just like the cover i could just see from filing the cd so many times when i worked in a record store is just was just kind of brilliant and like mm. uh he's had a little bit of a rough time lately he got busted over the holidays i think and like he, he didn't look so hot but i'm a trick daddy fan in like the lightest sense of the term like i don't know the b-sides and like album cuts i just mm. like these three songs a lot and so i just kind of wanted to see what you guys thought and also it's like and again it, there's something about like being such a nerd like i am where it's like i'm a nerd but i also kind of like trick daddy you know I mean? <laughs> <laughs> and like i'll it's use them to like yeah. hang my hat on of like i'm not as big of a dork as i might be <laughs> <laughs> So got some cred in the yeah, Miami streets. Slight cred. I got a okay. Trick Daddy t-shirt for you for Christmas on the way. Yeah, coming up. Coming up. Dave Ma, who's your uh, overrated, underrated? Okay, guys. Well, so uh, for my guy, um, don't. I'm gonna just. I'm gonna read off some clues, but you guys don't don't okay. don't run, read the don't say out the answer yet. Okay? okay. So he reminds me of like a, a slow-paced Andre 3000. He was on Rap a lot. Um, kind of too short esque. Very funny guy. Makes stoner music. Devin the dude, way mm. underrated. Um, not, not like he's he's underrated. Like dude should be in anyone's top five. You know what I mean? But for all the reasons mentioned, um, and like he doesn't get enough credit for the kind of the stuff he did with the South. I mean, yeah. I think his early albums are really good. Um, they're solid. I was just listening to a couple of the songs today. Um, he has a song called "She Used to." And uh, mm -hmm. the, the, the hook is uh, from, from elephant to elegant, from elegant to elephant. Yeah. <laughs> the, the story, it, it's a story rap right. about like this girl gaining weight. Anyways, uh, <laughs> it's not too, not too sensitive, but um, yeah, I just, I think he doesn't, he doesn't get taken too seriously because all he does is rap about weed and like going to the store. And you know, I love the everyman rapper and he's like the everyman's everyman. And um, that's, yeah, that's pretty much my thing. I think he's underrated. Underrated. I'm, I'm going deeply underrated, seconding <laughs> everything Dave said. Um, and I think uh, Doobie Ashtray will get some love among the real hip-hop heads because of the Primo connection and it mm -hmm. just being like an all-timer of a song. Right. Um, if I am ever like ending a party, uh, Doobie Ashtray and Crumble and Herb are just like go yes. so good together, dude. Yes. Like that, I want to live in that world um, <laughs> that, that is like formed by those two songs. But um, it, Devin's really, really funny. He can really rap. He can actually sing. Mm -hmm. um, he has mm -hmm. good taste. Um, he he probably let the quality level slip a little bit. He did put out an album last year. Like he's right. still working. He's still uh, working, yeah. I think he had four albums with rap a lot too, and uh, those seem to be the ones that the fan base uh, gravitates. For sure, I love uh, the first two, and he's a relatively recent discovery for me. I didn't grow up with his music. I actually heard mm. 
Devin for the first time when Dave, Dave and I were together, I was like, who's this? What's this? It was the song <laughs> Lackville 79, which is mm. about having a shitty car. Totally. I, I love that song so right. much. And right. I, I, that, right. That sent me down this rabbit hole of just really appreciating Devin, but I would say deeply underrated and like, we should end this podcast so I can go listen to some Devin. Right now. Like, <laughs> I love him so much. Well, I, I love self-deprecating rappers. And I mean, he, he's, he's uh, amongst tops, top of the list. You know what I mean? Mm. And you know, the other thing is, I mean, like, you know, rapping about rolling blunts and 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 selling an ounce it, it isn't as dangerous or as sexy or as as edgy uh, these days. So right. I think there, there's something to that too, where like coke raps have have an edge to them, and it's like, oh, Devin's just you know talking about rolling a blunt. Uh, un- unfortunately, know? I think he got put in kind of that Afro man kind of bag. Like, yeah, you're yeah. like you're it's you're a, a weed rapper, right? Right, like, right. Um, yeah, I. I've always thought that Devin the dude hasn't gotten enough credit for his overall influence. I remember when Kendrick was first coming along, I was like, ah, in some of these courses, like this is a Devin the dude course to me. Like, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. you listen to ADHD and songs, different songs. You're like, oh, right. you could tell this guy listens to it, which was a, a big thing. I, I remember him being really big and then kind of not. It's, I don't, and I don't understand where that line of demarcation is. Right. I feel like something happened to his career and maybe it was the shift in sort of just people's understanding towards the, the subjects he constantly talks about. Or, or, or maybe just being too early. Like his, yeah, his sing yeah. rap, his sing rap style is the order of the day right now. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I would, I'll, I'll, I'll go in, we'll go a unanimous underrated on Devin the dude, which will make us look really good on Twitter. Cause a lot of people bring that up, <laughs> but it's, but I, but I do believe it's true. I don't think he's so underrated that he's overrated yet. Right. But right. Let's, right. Let's watch out on that guys. Because it's, it's just, I can hear Drake doing Devin the dude style crooning. And now all I can hear is my head is Devin singing the hook to uh, bitch. Don't kill my vibe. <laughs> and like, that's all I want in life now. Right? Uh, we have to make this a reality. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not a, it's not a plaid, bad place to be. Um, yeah. So, so that was our inaugural segment, overrated, underrated. If you'd like to chime in on any of the takes that we offered up here, you can always hit us up at dad bod rap pod. If you have suggestions for people that we should, uh try to figure out on future episodes you can also hit us up there we are going to take a very quick break in which time you'll hear probably a dope beat from a producer who emailed nate and then on the other side we are going to do some record review dad by rap pod yeah all right good stuff all right all right so i'll Um, set this one up and then we'll do our thing and then we'll kind of wrap Yep. All right. Okay. Go ahead and bring us back, though. Dad Bod Rap Pod, we are back. And last week we started uh, a segment that I'm unofficially calling Mike Check, Please, Bay Area, um, <laughs> which is a, it's a joke if you watch fucking PBS. Well but, done. Uh, uh, thank you. Be here all week. Um, but we, uh, we parsed over Mar- Mozzie's album last week. Um, I had a middle-aged white friend thank me for the segment. I didn't say shit. (laughs) (laughs) I have other middle-aged white friends. Um, It was like, you know what? The fact that you guys rated it as such, let me know I didn't need to listen to it. And I was like, okay. 
Okay. Very wow. well. We've done our job. We could just do that for every album in the world. It'll be good. <laughs> pretty much. Pretty much. <laughs> Everything's uh, overrated. Right? That's so funny. <laughs> yeah, I was kind of I was cracking up at that. Like as as a world, it's properly rated. <laughs> um, okay. So uh, it's my turn this week, and I, I I'm just like using this segment idea that Damone invented to get you guys to listen to something I wanted you to listen to like six months ago (laughs) and actually have to talk about it on the show. I know not everyone can listen to everything I send and that not everything is a segment, but here we are. So I have been into this Logi album. I believe that's how you produce it. It's cap lowercase L-O-J-I-I. I'm going with Logi. Um, And this album, lo and behold, Um, came out earlier this year. For me, it's been kind of a standout release of this year. And it does a couple of things that I find very interesting. One, it's very regular guy rap. Mm -hmm. Um, It's like you're kind of every man kind of struggles and stuff. Two, it goes to some emotional places that I think are really interesting. And though there's kind of a subgenre of rap that kind of does this i'm thinking of our earl sweatshirts our mavis our med haynes like they're they're not afraid to talk about what's really going on with themselves it's not like a kind of toxic masculinity it's post macho like kind of like Mm -hmm. an investigation of like a young man's Mm -hmm. actual thoughts and feelings which i frankly appreciate and really like music like that a lot of times though there's a way for it to go too emo and bad that you know we don't have to get into and then the third thing is there's also kind of from that camp and in my understanding he's not from that camp like he's not affiliated with them like Logi's mm. from philly and he comes from a slightly different discipline but there's a murkiness to the sonic quality of like the earl and mavi stuff that i attribute mm-hmm. to um coming from standing on the corner that like the band that um, has produced earl and solange and dave knows i'm obsessed with like i think they have brought this interesting like muddled like I was describing it to someone on the phone the other day of like, you're stuck. The radio dial is stuck in between two stations. <laughs> and it's like that, that whole weird wobbly, I mm. can consider it this murky yeah. sound and Logi deploys it in a way that's tasteful and still accessible and doesn't like wallow in the muck. It's mm. like, it's lightly murky if that's a thing, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. That's kind of my intro. Um, I'm big on this album, and I wanted to make you guys talk about it. So let's let's do it. What did you guys think of this? And, and I, if we're doing the ya man yeah. scale, it's a ya from me. Yeah, <laughs> I, go, I really like this. Go ahead. I'm gonna go ya as well. Um, okay. I I would say a ya minus, uh, and the the only reason is because I think. I, I wasn't really into the first half of the album. I felt like there was there is too, some singing. There's too much singing, and and again, I mean, I don't want people to think I by nature I ha- I intrinsically hate singing. It's just, it's just sort of like when it's sing songy and they're just kind of singing, but it doesn't sound like they wrote it. If you know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. Anyway, so there's okay. too much of that, and I just okay. wasn't really into the beats at the beginning. But then halfway through, and Earl Earl is a name that keeps coming up, and so like halfway through, like the beats are a little bit more woozy and fragmented and it sort of reminded me of um, some rap songs and to Nate's point earlier about how uh, this is sort of the school of inner thoughts and it's like inward thinking sort of post macho machismo type shit um, I'm with it I'm here for it I want to see what what else he's going to do um, one of his lines is like people only hit me when they need something and it's like what's more relatable than that yeah yeah you Dave was I mean? like I'm seen <laughs> <laughs> so definitely definitely yeah yeah, you're going. You're going. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for sure. Nate. Nate sent this this 
uh, record or the link to it, um, I want to say a couple months ago. Um, and I actually did listen to it um, back then. And a standout track for that that kind of made it into my playlist world was, um, I believe it's called Lo and Behold, um, which kind of, I think, is a good, if, if you were trying to turn somebody on to this artist, I think that's a great kind of starting place in a track. I, too, in my notes, wrote down, um, not, not as a pejorative, but like Earl Sweatshirt Light. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. like it's, it, it, it go to you, both of your points, it kind of goes a sleeveless in that sweatshirt. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. Three quarters? No. Um, so, uh, yeah, it, it, it has, it has some of that darkness, but not all the way. Um, um, and, and, you know, I've almost been excommunicated for my feelings about some rap songs, so I'll stop there. Uh, but the, the vibe of it, it, it's, it has a color and a palette to it that is consistent. Um, some of these, if they didn't have vocals on them, would be, I think, classified as lo-fi. Mm-hmm. Um, Beat Swarvy, who is kind of in that lane as a producer, who is someone I liked, is, is featured on the album a couple times, Ooh. which I dug. Um, I'm the opposite of you, Dave. I, I like the front end. Um, Interesting. I kind of, I kind of lost interest on the back, on the back half. I'm not gonna lie. Um, well, you also like the 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 dancey uh, Vince Staples album, so. Ouch! I don't <laughs> like Big Fish. I like Azalea Banks. Get it I, oh, straight. that's right. That's right. That's right. Ugh. That's right. I forgot which hip house you were in. Hip house song you were into. You know uh, what? <laughs> Jungle Brothers are coming to your house right now. Oh uh, my with God. The, the JBs um, are coming through. <laughs> This is why we talk about it, and this is the kind of conversation I want to have. It's I don't necessarily think of them as halves. Like we don't have it on vinyl. I'm not like walking over and flipping over the record. So you guys are making me think like, is the is the is this record front loaded with singing, and is does it change at the end? And I know oh, I think there's just a know. point. It's more mm. that like some drums kick in a little bit more mm. solidly. In the back in the half. Back half. Um, if I'm thinking about it, and I've probably listened to this record like ten times, and I do think it will probably end up somewhere on my best of the year list. And okay. it's okay. In, in some ways, it's because it showed like it was the first thing I caught by this artist, where I'm like, now I take an interest in this artist. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and I, totally. I don't. I think it's. I think it works as a starting point. Um, right. Definitely talented right. artist. Um, had some great collaborators. Uh, Pink Sifu is is on this record. Swarby right. is on this record. Um, overall, though, I'm gonna have to give it the meh. Um, oh. It was just it, it was a little long I for see. little long <laughs> for me. Uh, and the the color kind of taste choices of it. Just after a while, I I I kind of it, it made me kind of like, I get it a little bit. Yeah, kind of. Um, but I do feel like, you know, I, I hear the artist um, and the voice and all the things are there. Kind of reminds me of um, a little bit of Ivan Av. Like, okay. Um, I totally of, get that. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So the voice, the kind of color palette. So um, I'm definitely interested to hear more. But on this particular record, I'm, I'm going to go 
Uh, On that note, I know we're not doing him right now, but uh, I really severely disliked the new Ivan Av record. Of course, like, of course. I liked a few of, of his things so much, and we this new one, I was about like, that. what are you doing, dude? He's doing, he's doing Drake, but like Drake from like three years ago, Drake. Yeah. It's very strange. It's a yeah. very strange record. I, I, was, I was not a like, fan. I thought it, it looked really cool, and right? I was like, oh, he's ready to have a moment, and maybe he is oh, trying terrible. to have his moment in another way, like going for I, the gold kind of thing. I, I like that album he did with Mind Design. And looking back, I'm like, well, fuck, maybe it was Mind Design's production palette. I mean, but I'm, I, I, haven't even, I haven't even heard the new one. Based no, off it's, it's, it has so much, so much singing, Dave. Yeah. You're, you're not going to be able to cope with it. <laughs> and again, I don't hate singing. By non-Jamaicans? By <laughs> <laughs> if you're not <laughs> Alton Ellis, Dave. Yeah, I like, know what to say. Like, dude. Oh man. Um so Lo it's it's Loji in the name of the album? Lo and Behold. Lo and Behold is okay, so it's the title yeah, track. Yeah, but there there's a yes, it's a title track. Yeah. So the titular role, as they say. Um all right, two yes and a man. I think that's gonna be how every single one of these goes. I'm dying <laughs> to see what Dave picks next week. Yes. Uh, ludicrous, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Totally chicken and beer to see. <laughs> yeah. God, uh, so that that was our uh, mic check, please, Baria. Uh, before up. we wrap, like, what are you guys watching? Like, give me some stuff to watch. Well, Anybody? I just watched the last band. I know that Damone's being strangely contrarian about that. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't think any of our last dance commentary has made it on. Just to give you guys a peek behind the curtain. Um, there's a ton of this that gets edited out. And I think, I think most of our last dance commentary has been edited out, but there's like 40 minutes of uh, last dance stuff <laughs> just from the last two weeks that like on the cutting room floor. That's hilarious. Uh, yeah. I'm so sad it's over. Same. So where else can you go? It's right. wins. Only a prequel yeah, now. Wins. Like there's nothing you can do with this shit. The wizard totally. years. I mean, yeah. 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 Um, I'm watching never have I ever. We watched the first episode of that. I really, I'm, I'm really enjoying it. Yeah. I, I know, I know um, um, a, a drama comedy about a 12-year-old Indian girl isn't the most hip-hop thing ever. She's but. a little older than that, right, though? Like, <laughs> doesn't she have sex oh, and stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it okay. starts off with it. Anyways. Okay. Um, really feeling that? Yeah. And, uh, other I'm really that, feeling her cousin. That's the oh, only thing I remember I from the first episode. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. Uh, it's a good show. It's thoughtful. Nice. Uh, what, what else are you, are you guys watching? What are you watching? Um, shit. Uh, the Decay of Society. I don't know. Oh, I, no. uh, I don't. Oh, overrated. Always yeah, on. Always overrated on. on all the time. <laughs> um, it's funny because when in the segment you guys didn't hear where I, I shit on the last dance, um, Nate, you were like, "What the fuck are you watching?" And then and later, I was like. What the fuck am I watching? Nothing, because I refuse to watch the one good show that they put out <laughs> for me for the last five weeks. Um, because I won't engage in Jordan propaganda, I will not be maligned on my own program. Um, but uh, no, he wins. He's super competitive, guys. Watch it all. Watch all 10 episodes. <laughs> he punched um, her in the face. <laughs> uh, so what I did do, though, because I do engage with the media, Nate, thank you. Uh, I went to the drive-in. Oh, cool. Um, I oh, went cool. to the drive-in not this weekend, but last weekend. And um, it was like, duh, why wouldn't the drive-in be open? It's a, you know, it's a legit yeah. social distancing way to in totally. engage with movies, but no cool movies are out. Like they're not they, putting they movies out. They basically left what was in theaters when this started, which seems yes. like a hundred years ago. What did you end right. up watching? 
I watched two really, really bad movies, which at the drive-in the feels bar okay. Is lower. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Totally. yeah, it's much lower, but not this low. So I watched, <laughs> uh, I watched a, a musical called Valley Girls, which they licensed all the 80s hits, and that's where the budget just stopped. Like, no actors, the script was horrible, the lighting was bad, but like, you know, Oh, Mickey believe, comes on. It's a, it's a remake. It's a musical remake of the film Valley Girl with Nicolas Cage, right? Mm, it, it's more cheesy segues between 80 songs. I, okay. know, that's, I know that's what it said. Yeah. It was, it was a, trying a jukebox to be, musical, if you will. Pretty much. Pretty much. Okay. So that, that was horrible. Then the double feature was a Rebel Wilson vehicle. Um, Rebel Wilson and Anne Hathaway trying oh. to reenact Ocean's 13. Actually, I believe that is a remake of the film. Um, it's called The Hustle. Yeah, but it's a remake of a film, um, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Scoundrels. Yeah. 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 Um, and not is a it, good one. Is that, is that yeah. Okay. It's, not a, it's not a good one. Um, so you spent six hours watching some bullshit in your car? <laughs> pretty much. But you can get loaded and you make fun of it. Um, yeah. Yeah. You're just happy to be out and about. Did you buy snacks or is that too much uh, no, interaction? The snack shack was closed, but the rats were still around. So just to let <laughs> oh. you know, Capital Drive-In is still keeping it real. Same as uh, it ever was. Same nice. as it ever was. So yeah, so I, I, I watched those movies and I right kind on. of like, it's nice to have the experience of watching a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I really miss going to the movies. I would go to the movies basically every weekend before this started. I don't know really? when I'm going to go to the movies again. Yeah, we go to the movies. Yeah, pretty much every weekend. Like, unless I'm, there's, it's just some bullshit playing or we've already seen everything. Like, I'm ruling out movies until uh, somewhere summer 2021. Like, yeah. I'm saying you will, not, you will not have access to a movie theater for some time. But the drive-in is still open. Um, and apparently... I always thought Capital Drive-Ins near where I grew up was like the last drive-in ever, but they're, they're all over the place. Um, so I think if, that company has like five drive-ins and the nearest one is in like Phoenix, Arizona or something Sacramento. like that I was reading. Sacramento, okay. Sacramento, yeah. So, you know, that's an experience to do if you're just trying to do something to get out. I have a bunch of kids and shit, so right. just to have something to do. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that was my media engagement. Then it was back to like smoking weed, looking out the window, listening to Brazilian music. That's pretty go. much about Could it. Could be worse. That sounds yeah. beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. So that almost, that feels like a whole ass podcast, right? Sure. <laughs> Why not? I want to remind you guys that Dad Bod, Rap Pod, we exist in multiple forums and on the social media platforms. We are at Dad Bod, Rap Pod on Twitter, at Dad Bod, Rap Pod on IG. You can listen to the program on all of the streaming platforms. We encourage you to check us out on kiki.co.uk. Can I pause there? Sure. Um, I've never corrected you on this because I want people to go to Kiki and Kiki fucked with us early, but like they were rebuilding their website. So they actually only have up to like episode 77 right now. Oh shit. Like they just reached back out and the, the new website has launched. So I need to send our guy all the files but that's going to take a while because they're huge files and like i don't have that kind of time to like just sit around sending giant emails and like attachments and google drive so like 
they will be slowly building back up. So if you want to okay. get the history, the prequel <laughs> of Dad by Rap Pod. You want to hear our brand new interview with Fru Kwan from Gravediggers. <laughs> Three through 77. You want to listen to those episodes, check us out on kiki.co.uk. Yeah. Uh, we are part of the Pantheon Podcast Network, over 50 music-related podcasts all on the network. We're, we're proud to be down with them. Um, and so you should check us out and you should check out other programs on the network right now. We are still looking for a sponsorship. We lost our butt plug sponsorship, unfortunately, <laughs> due to poor sales. Uh, we do smoke weed. So if there's a dispensary, um, who would like our services, uh, we are, we are open. Please airfield call me. I call you all the time. <laughs> hey, I went to airfield for the first time. Speaking What'd of you that's, think? that's the media I engage with. Um, their COVID protocols had everybody in a, in a tither. And I'm like, guys, we're buying weed in a store. Like, relax. Like, right. people were like, I'm be happy about that. <laughs> right. Yeah. They're like, oh, my God, I can't believe the line's so long. I'm like, we're in a pandemic buying weed at a store. Like, right. <laughs> like, grandma, celebrating. relax. Um, <laughs> so shout you out to Airfield. We're, we're here for it. You got to get yourself a delivery service, dude. So, so Dave has some weird shit oh. going on. That it's not we even, can't that even weird. talk about. I live in we can't Clara, even talk about it on air. <laughs> it's not even the rough streets, dude. It's he's, he's got a bicycle uh, messenger who comes up, uh, <laughs> comes up Mission Boulevard and, and dumps some packages. Uh, Whatever Dave is doing, it's working because that white chocolate. Yeah, is no joke, dude. Nice, awesome, yeah. dude. Yeah, I lost uh, two thirds of a weekend. <laughs> <laughs> How much did you take? A uh, one, one per day. Okay. But started okay. kind of early in the day. Kids, nice. we recommend that you, when you're dosing your edibles, you start slow because um, you're an amateur. Uh, <laughs> don't start get, slow. Get some comic books. Yeah. It's be in a, be a safe while. place. Um, <laughs> but, you know. Uh, anyway, now that we've uh, alienated every uh, non-weed smoking fan here, we just want to say we are the Dad Bob Rat Pod. We appreciate you guys listening to the program. We're 100 plus episodes deep. We encourage you uh, to check out some of our older interviews, but we are still going to be coming at you every week with new content, more arguments, more edibles. Dad by Rap Pod. <laughs>